study of the resurrection. And uh, Paul has shown that we have to believe in the resurrection of Christ. Believing in his resurrection, that's one step in this whole plan that includes our own resurrection. There are some other reasons that Paul is giving to believe in the resurrection, some other just considerations that we're going to see in this next section. So would somebody read chapter 15, verses 29 to 34? Crazy 
to put your life on the line as much as Paul did if there's not even a resurrection. He was in danger constantly. And, and it makes you think about it a little bit. Are we ever in danger? Would we be willing to be? Are we, would we be willing to put our life in jeopardy as much as Paul did? Sometimes we're not even willing to risk our acceptance. And why do we suffer? He says, I, I die daily. Takes an oath before God that he was constantly in danger of death. He says, if from human motives I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus, what does it profit me? Why would Paul allow himself to be nearly torn to pieces by wild beasts? I suspect he meant infuriated men. Maybe he meant he was thrown into the arena with literal wild beasts. Anyway, you look at it, why go through all that if there's no resurrection? That would be so pointless. But again, I want you to think about what Paul went through. We're so soft. It's so hard for us to challenge ourselves enough and to be willing to sacrifice enough. You see the example of people like Paul and it puts us to shame. If, if, if we started talking about our sacrifices, the things we've given up for the cause of Christ, the things we've gone through for the cause of Christ, and then you stack them up against what Paul went through and what Paul gave up, what a shame. We need to be willing to go through harder things because we do believe we'll be raised. We know we'll be raised. And we look forward to that. And we want to live for the Lord while we are here. He said if the dead are not raised, well, why not just live it up? Why not just relapse into a lifestyle that's concerned only for this life pleasure? He says, if the dead are not raised, that's the sixth time he's made that statement, if the dead are not raised. You know, he cited that foolish doctrine. But how, what you believe and how you live are very closely related. You know, if, if you believe that uh, you won't be raised, you will live it up. That's, that's a, you know, what, why not? Uh, if, if people think they're going to die like an animal, they usually live like an animal. And you can understand that. So you take away the resurrection and just think about what, what happens to moral standards. Is there not some connection between believing we're nothing but glorified animals and how people live so much like animals? I mean, sometimes we think, well, what happened to the morals? Well, what happened to what people believed about their life of themselves? You know, that's, that's uh, the application. And then he exhorts them, don't be deceived, verse 33, bad company corrupts good morals. It's interesting, uh, that's true in a lot of senses, and we use it a lot, you know, uh, don't hang out with the wrong people. Uh, you know, if you hang out with a drunk, you'll probably drink. Well, I mean, Proverbs talks about some things like that, that's a fair statement. But here, he's really talking about the false teachers. They were, they were in danger of letting that false philosophy and false thinking influence them. We need to worry not just about somebody who behaves badly, but people who have wrong philosophies and wrong outlooks and wrong doctrines, they can rub off on us too. He says, be sober, you know, be serious-minded. Don't get too wound up about things that are trivial. Uh, and, st and stop sinning. When we are sinning, we have a very difficult time thinking straight. The love of 
evil deeds make us, makes us love the darkness and warps our perception. Part of the reason we come to false teachings is because we have false living and it just perverts our, our reason. And then he says, some of you have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. What a, what a terrible thing when we're vulnerable to false teaching because we just don't even know the book. We don't know what's right. So, Paul talks about those that are baptized from the dead. Why even be baptized if they don't think the dead are raised? He talks about us. Why are we going through all this if there's no resurrection? And then he exhorts them to not hang out with the wrong teach people, the false teachers, and to really be sober and stop sinning and know the Lord. Thoughts and comments on this section? Yes, sir.
Well, here's the issue. How are the dead raised? What kind of body do they have? And if you can't answer that question, then you know there's no resurrection, right? Since they couldn't handle the how, they gave up the what. You know, if we don't know how it's going to happen, then it must not be able to happen. So the details about the mechanics of the resurrection were the issue that they had. If they couldn't fathom how it was, then it wasn't. That was really their mindset. That, of course, is highly inaccurate. Just because we don't know how something will happen, a lot of things I don't understand how it happens, doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But all goes ahead and explains. Uh, rather uh, uncomplimentary uh, to them, you fool. Uh, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So he uses the analogy of the seed. And he says, you plant a seed. Now, does the plant that you get come from the seed? Yes. Does the plant that you get look like the seed? No. So, you put the body in the ground, you bury it. Does the body that is raised come from the body that you bury? Yes. Does the body that's raised look like the body you bury? No. That's his point. Every time these false teachers planted the garden, they showed the principle of the resurrection. The idea of there being a continuity and yet a change of form at the same time. Now, we don't know, of course, exactly what the resurrection body will look like, be like, or whatever, but we do see that God has lots of experience in finding suitable bodies. And he goes back and he thinks about agricultural things, like with the seeds. And he thinks about zoological things, like, you know, human flesh, animal flesh, bird flesh, fish bodies, he thinks about even heavenly bodies, astronomical bodies. God's got bodies for everything. They aren't all alike. In fact, they're a very different order. Plants, animals, and stars don't have bodies very much alike at all. And even among themselves, there's difference in the body. But God can find bodies. He's good at body making, body developing, whatever you want to call it. So they shouldn't be worried about, well, what kind of a body are they going to have? God can handle that job. I think that's his point. Um, is that, that, you know, that's not going to be an issue. Now, there's some things we know. But what we know maybe more illustrates or emphasizes what we don't know. We know that it's sown a perishable body. It's raised an imperishable body. But I don't know what that imperishable body looks like. You know, but it's not like the perishable. It's, it's of a different situation. Different format. You know, it is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. We have bodies that are frail, that are subject to disease and all kinds of weaknesses and deficiencies and so forth. Our bodies will be glorified. They won't have all these uh, things that are a result, ultimately, of sin. And our bodies that we have right now are adapted to the natural environment we live in. The bodies we will have will be adapted to the celestial environment we'll be in. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. But it's exciting to think about. It's exciting to realize that God's got just the way to transform my body to make it just what it ought to be for the realm where we'll be entering. And 
we shouldn't think that the spiritual came before the natural. Now that was the Greek philosophy. That you had the soul, the spirit. And then the body was just sort of an emanation from that or a shadow cast by that. They thought of the reality and the, the pre-existing thing as being the spiritual. No, the body's first and then later the spiritual body that we will receive. And uh, so there's a lot of question marks. We, we certainly don't understand everything about the body, but we understand enough to get the idea and for it to be really exciting. I think we need to be looking forward to that. Uh, that when we, we plan to buy, uh, that, that really, that's just a temporary phase. No, in the Bible it talks about we sleep. I think that's talking about the body. Sleeps. Now, the idea is, you know, there's a, it's like they're at rest because they're going to wake up one day. Um, that, um, this because of the, when, when my mother was buried, uh, the preacher talked about this being the, the, the grave is really the resurrection spot. This is, this is the place where uh, the, this uh, Christian will be raised from. You know, you don't think about it that way. You think, oh, well, this is the place where they're buried. But really, it's the place in which they'll be raised. And that's what we need to look forward to. It's what we need to be excited about and eager for. That's the way God intends for this to be. We don't have to know the answer to all the questions because God clearly knows. He will work that out just right. But it, it's, it's, it's exciting and we look forward to that. That's what we're living for. We're not living to be here forever. We're looking for one day for our bodies to be raised and us to be able to be with the Lord forever. So that's the exciting thing that he's telling them. And he's answering the objection that, well, we don't know how this will work. Questions and comments. Fifty to fifty-eight. 
Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but will all be changed. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Now, it is true that flesh and blood can't go to heaven. Perishable things can't inherit the imperishable. But here's the secret. When Christ returns, there's going to be just this momentary thing where the dead are raised imperishable. And then all of us who are alive are going to be transformed, just like that, to having our imperishable bodies. And, wow, that will be just awesome. It will be incredible. These new bodies, these transformed bodies, will be compatible for the new environment we'll be in. And it just won't take any time. I'm assuming that the moment we hear the trumpet, we hear the voice, it already happened to us. It's just like all right there in one moment. And it'll be just incredible. And, and we look forward to that. It's exciting to dream about that and think about that. You know, you normally do dream about something you're looking forward to. You know, if you're going on a trip or if you're going to experience something you're really excited about, you think about it. You, you daydream about it. You talk about it. You wonder about it. You try to almost visualize it. You, there, there's a lot of uh, pleasure in enjoying something beforehand. You know, I mean, in this life, sometimes the enjoyment beforehand is greater than the enjoyment of the event. It's not going to be like that with this. But we ought to be looking forward to it and eager about this. And, and so we're just imagining one of these days, maybe we'll still be alive. You know, wonder what we'll be doing at the time. You know, the, the, there'll just be this shout and this trumpet, and all of a sudden, whoa, all the graves in the world are open. And wow, this mass exodus of humanity and glorified bodies. And then suddenly, we're just caught up and transformed. And uh, this is really the ultimate victory. Now he goes down and he really tries to analyze this a little bit. He almost goes down to death's laboratory. He says, uh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. So the throne of death rests on sin and the law. Death uses sin as its stinger. But what's going to happen is it's going to be defanged, de de uh, de detoxicated. Death's stinger was blocked. The sin was, was overcome. Because death gets its sting, sting from sin. Sin gets its power from the law. But Jesus abolished the law. He forgave the sin. And death has been rendered harmless. Jesus gave, gives us the victory. 
over the law, over sin, and most importantly, over death. And so thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the bottom line is, therefore, let us be steadfast. We should be stable, not easily moved away. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. There is nothing static about our life as a Christian. We must be constantly growing and abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not vain in the Lord. Remember verse 17 and verse 19, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is vain. But it's not vain. Our toil is not in vain in the Lord. We, we have the confidence that one day it will be highly rewarded. We are excited about that and eager for that. That we ought to really meditate on a chapter like this and, and be excited about it. And, and certainly be thinking in terms of the resurrection of our body. Don't ever think again. Our soul will be raised. It's our body is raised. We're raised to be with the Lord. It's an incorruptible body. It's a body adapted to our celestial environment. It's a wonderful body we'll have, whatever it'll be like. But it'll be our body. And we'll be whole before the Lord forever and ever. Comments and questions? that we have with the Lord in that interval. Uh, there's some other ways of explaining them, but that does sound that way. So that may be the case. I'm really not sure about that. I don't know that it makes a lot of difference. I certainly don't think the focus in the scriptures is on what happens between the death and resurrection. The focus is on the resurrection. That's really the next thing we're looking forward to. So I think, you know, our curiosity really makes us want to know what's the give me the whole story about between the death our death and resurrection. But there's certainly not much said in the Bible about that. There's not much emphasis. And it's a little hard to know how to analyze the passages that deal with that from my standpoint. Other thoughts?
Yeah, it's that's exactly right. There will be one resurrection of both righteous and wicked, John 5, 28, 29, Acts 24, 15. And it won't be a secret one. It'll be a noisy one. We'll all know it. We'll all be involved. So this rapture idea has no basis in Scripture. Right.